Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham sponsored by NordVPN. On today's podcast we are going to be discussing Tottenham's 3-2 win over Eintracht Frankfurt in the Champions League on Wednesday and then looking ahead to Saturday's Premier League encounter against Everton at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Joining me as ever, Alistair Gold. Ali, all good with you? Yeah, not bad. Spurs have had back-to-back victories, which gives us plenty of positives to talk about. Um, and although Antonio Conte, he was, I wouldn't say he was delighted after the game, so that kind of gives us some stuff to delve into as well. But yeah, it's um, steps in the right direction is probably the best way to put it and, and gives us plenty to chat about. Yeah, there's plenty to discuss uh, on the Frankfurt game. number of positives, negatives as well. I think 3-2 scoreline looks... Uh, very, very close. I don't think it really reflects how the 90 minutes panned out. Spurs, in all honesty, should have won by, you know, a two-goal cushion, maybe even more given the chances they had. Uh, <laughs> nearly threw it away at the end as well. What would have been an absolute disaster if that happened. But, you know, a big win for them in the Champions League. It was a much-needed one as well, especially after the sporting defeat and then the draw at Frankfurt last week in Given how tight the group is at the moment, Spurs certainly needed the win last night just to try and take control of the group, and that's what happened. Do you want to just give us your thoughts on the performance, first of all? Yeah, it was a funny day, actually, because I went to Hotspur away first and did the under-19s UEFA Youth League game, and there were actually quite a few similarities yet differences between the two games, because... Obviously, Spurs late in the day won 3-2. The under-19s lost 3-2, but but were 2-0 up at half-time with a really good first-half display, but then collapsed in eight minutes at the start of the second half. And, uh, yeah, there were some similarities with the first team. Kind of got themselves into a strong position and at the end just, like, switched off. It was almost like job done. Well done, lads. We've taken control of the group. And it's like you could see Conte screaming on the touchline as if to say... No, there's still time left. And when he came into the press conference afterwards, his voice was quite hoarse because he'd been shouting so much at the end of the game. Um, Spurs, Spurs are such a weird, weird team, aren't they? They are. I think that the thing that you can always say is that if either Son or Kane is on form, they'll win most of the time. If both of them are on form, they pretty much win every time. And I think that was what happened, was that despite everything else that was going on, you had Sonny flying, um, and Kane, despite that missed penalty, I felt had a really good performance as well. And the fact that the two of them were on song, you kind of you know you're going to outscore the opposition, and that was what happened. Um, Frankfurt, I actually felt offered far more than they did in Germany. I thought they they especially as the game wore on with ten men, they really just went for it. Um, and and the fair play to them that they really did. Um, as for Spurs, yeah, I think it was a complacency element came into it. I think at half-time, they just kind of acted like the game was done and dusted, um, which is a strange one as well, especially with this new-look Tottenham or this kind of mentality that supposedly have been brought in. To kind of have that attitude in the second half was very much old-school Tottenham. It was, you know, we've seen that in you know European games galore in the past where they've kind of gone into it thinking, oh, well, we're going to steamroll with them in this. Um, and they didn't. So... Yeah, positives on the whole because they've <coughs> excuse me they've taken control of the group. That's the main thing. Win that home game and they're through the next one against uh, Sporting, and then you know then it's a case of, of maybe trying to tie up that top spot. Um, yeah, on the whole, probably more positives than negatives for us to talk about. But the negatives are definitely things that have to be addressed so they don't continue into future matches. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I think it was just a case of. You know, just getting the three points on board, no matter what the performance was like, that was just the most important thing, just winning last night because you look at how close the group is and then Conte's record in Europe, uh, his previous clubs, and then with Frankfurt going 1-0 up early on, you're thinking, oh, God, here we go again. But no, they uh, reacted really well. I think it was five minutes after uh, Son played through by Kane. Son, prior to that, had had there. A couple of moments where he was just bad passing, just sloppy play, losing the ball. And then we've seen it before with Son when he goes through on goal and he has time, 
that's maybe something what plays on his mind and he struggles with rather than when it's just he's got a second to get his shot away and he, he scores. Uh, and he did have a bit of time when Kane played him through, but he certainly didn't look like a player short on confidence, as we've seen after the international break, even though he had that hat-trick against Leicester and did so well for South Korea. Uh, during the international games, uh, he took his first goal really, really well. Obviously, uh, he's going to get all the plaudits for his second goal, but I thought the first goal as well was uh, a really, really uh, good finish from him. Uh, Son, I think he's just, I think his first goal showed he's just such a, a confidence play. Once he got that, he was brilliant after that. And uh, yeah, it's just a shame he really didn't have a hat trick. Uh, to finish it off because I thought he played really, really well last night. Yeah, yeah, he was superb. The um I was trying to think, what was the name of the chap that sent off? Was it Tuta? Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. <laughs> I can just imagine him kind of in the middle of last night, just waking up in a cold sweat, kind of thinking about Son and the, just the nightmare he called him, uh it caused him. He just every time he got the ball, he drove forward. Um and he just everything about him, he looked kind of looked that in like that little step quicker again. Uh, that little bit sharper. Um, every time he got the ball, it looked like something was going to happen for Tottenham. And yeah, like you say, first goal, lovely finish with his right foot. Second goal, incredible finish with his left foot. Um, that was that was up there. Technique-wise, to make sure that volley stays under that crossbar, so many lesser players would have blazed that you know, into the stratosphere. Um, and massive praise as well, I think, for the run and cross from... Pierre Mahoybier as well. The I will keep banging the Hoybier drum as long as I can because I just I just feel that he's so underrated. I think we were discussing this at the game last night. I actually think he could be Spurs player of the season so far. I think he's been that good consistently. But because, you know, I don't know, he's not a Brazilian midfielder. He's come from, I think you said it last night, he's he's come from maybe Southampton, whereas rather than a glamorous club, perhaps, or something. It's almost like he he always has something extra to prove, perhaps. Um, and even his his assists and goals, I think that's his third assist now, two goals. So five goal involvements in 13 matches. For a guy that people complain about is purely defensively minded, that's not too shabby at all for a central midfielder. Um, and, you know, I will keep saying it. Take him out of that team, you notice it. Every single time you ever... Even when he's just subbed off, you notice it. Um, but yeah, sorry, we'll talk about Sonny. We could we, we'll talk about Hoybe a bit later, but Sonny, um, lovely finishes. Could have had that uh, third guy. I think the keeper just got his toe pretty much to his shot, didn't he? That could have been a third. Um, interestingly, afterwards, I did feel that whenever Conte was questioned about Sonny and that moment, he kind of he swerved slightly to talk about um, how disappointed he was with the end of the game or even praising Kane because obviously he was getting a bit of flack for the missed penalty. Um, I don't think that's a slight against Sonny in any way. I think it's just he knows how brilliant Sonny is. He is constantly telling the world how this is. I think the thing that Conte does as well, when when Son was going through that period where he probably wasn't in his best form, he admitted it himself, Conte constantly had his back. He was telling everyone he's world-class. He stuck with him. The one time he did give him a little bit of a rest, he came, roared back with a hat-trick. Uh, and I feel that's kind of... He doesn't need to constantly talk up Son. We all know how brilliant Son is. You know, I thought he might even end up with the perfect hat-trick last night if he'd got a header because he'd done both feet. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't worry about that too much that he was um, not choosing to, to praise Son individually for his efforts uh, because he's done a lot of that this season. But, uh, yeah, it's great to see. I think the key now for Sonny is to do that in the coming games as well because, obviously, he had the hat-trick against Leicester and probably was a little bit quieter in the next couple of games. Um, but now it's the case of trying to get on a bit of a run after these two lovely goals. Um, and yeah, like I say, Kane and Son just firing as a partnership as well. I think that's 50, isn't it, goal combinations now between them, which is it's just remarkable. Um, they just know each other's game inside out. And I actually thought Richarlison kind of played his part as well. You know, especially that first goal, it was his battling, I think, that really led to it. Um, and he's starting to look at home as well. Yeah, obviously Tottenham switched formation uh, last night. It was 3-4-3 after going 3-5-2 at Brighton. And we 
we're talking in the press box. We just said, like, it was probably the perfect game, really, to go back to free for free, horses yeah. for courses, uh, really. And yeah, for front free, uh, played well. Uh, while Son and Kane will get the headlines of what Richarlison did, you know, did his job. Some really good play at the start of the second half, what nearly uh, culminated in Ryan Sessignon scoring some really good battling down uh, the right. And yeah, uh, it's just good to have all these options at the moment. So it's got to be interesting to see whether he reverts back to the 3-5-2 against Everton or carries on with the 3-4-3. But Conte did reveal after the game that probably looking like Dane Kulisewski will be back. Lucas Mora was on the pitch as well last night. So there's options there. So it's certainly uh, good. And it's just good to see, you know, Son on uh, Song again because that was that was certainly missing for him in the uh, opening few weeks of the season. Speaking of someone else who we've already mentioned, Pierre-Emil Hoibjerg, I just think he deserves so much praise at the moment. Uh, he's just, we've said it so many times on this podcast, that he's just, for whatever reason, he's a player who seems to divide the opinion of fans, but I don't think anyone can have any, I don't think anyone can question uh, how well he's played this season. He's just been oh, they superb. Will. <laughs> they will. <laughs> he's, he's just been superb. And as you've said, five goal involvements this season, I think, I think last season, was it three goals, four assists? First season, two goals, five assists. So he's, if he carries on, he's going to, you know, yeah. better his numbers uh, quite quickly as long as he keeps going from uh, strength to strength. He just offers so much, really, to Tottenham. And he's such a key player in Conte's midfield. And following the signing of Eve Pesuma from Brighton, I think probably people are thinking, if someone's going to drop out the midfield this season, it might be Hoybjerg. But he started all 13 games so far. It was a never-present under Jose Mourinho in his first season at the club. I think it was last season. He missed out on one starting 11 when he was available. He's just, he is quite simply, I think, gone say an undroppable. He's his midfield general. It's just his work off the ball as well. We noticed it last night. As soon as I think Frankfurt got on the ball in Spurs' half, Hoybjerg was the first one there pressing, telling Kane and Son to do exactly the same as well. And yeah, I think you just notice when he's not in the team. And it was the same when Benton Kerr came off as well and Skip yeah. and Basuma came on. Frankfurt started to, you know, win the midfield battle. Uh, I just, for me, you just can't question Pierre-Emil Hoybjerg. Yeah, I think um, his fitness is an incredible asset as well, uh, especially when you're playing a Conte system. That's exactly what you need. Like you say, there was that one moment, wasn't it? And it was it was second half. But I think towards the end, before he came off as well, he sprinted forward to press a defender. And he'd come from his own half. Um, I think the, the only problem now, is it's, it's almost a case of how reliant Conte is becoming on him and uh, Benton Coeur. Because I was looking at the minutes they're playing. So only Lloris, Kane and Dyer have played more minutes than Hoybier and Bentenker in the team. Uh, Lloris has done 1,170. Kane, 1,158, which is the same figure Dyer has. Hoybier is 1,150. So he's only eight minutes behind them. And Bentenker is 1,037. Um, this is the issue, isn't it? It's that, yes, we know they're a, they're a good partnership. They work well. They're Conte's trusted too. But it's a vicious circle because if the likes of Skip and Basuma don't get many minutes, they're never going to probably look sharp and get into the rhythm of being able to come in and out of that team. Um, and I think we saw that yesterday is that they looked like two players that were pretty much being chucked together for almost the first time, really, uh, Skip and Basuma. And that's why I think they lost suddenly a big old chunk of control in the midfield. Um, and that maybe comes back to Conte of maybe not introducing them into games when he could perhaps a little bit earlier. Um, it's difficult because a lot of Spurs games have been tight games. So I understand how difficult it is to do that. But then I guess we can't then complain now about them looking rusty and, and not ready. But um, yeah, Hoybier, I'd love it if he got a little bit more credit from people because... There's always this thing about him that he's he's a sideways passer. This is what Spurs fans do with midfielders. They they kind of there's a there's a theme here where they decide they don't like them because they're sideways passers. But I would actually say that 
Hoybier's maybe biggest problem is that he probably tries too many forward passes and he actually will mess some of those up, um, which is always what will happen if you're taking more risks. And his technique, you know, sometimes maybe he's not seen as the greatest kind of sexy footballer with the technique and dribbling and all that. But I would say he actually can have a really good technique. And we've seen it a lot of times. I mean, the cross for Sonny was absolutely perfect crossing technique. Um and the dribble that came before it. That, that's what he does. I actually think he can provide all of those things to a very high level. Um, it's just maybe his consistency in those attacking sides of his game sometimes. I don't know. But he's a leader as well. At a time when Spurs kind of need leaders, you, you know, he is kind of the general in there, isn't he? He's very much someone they all look up to. Um, and yeah, yeah. Another terrific performance for him, and um, hopefully, hopefully, continues it. My only worry is if Conte keeps playing him and Benton Core as fit as they are, they're going to pick up an injury at some point. Um, and obviously, you also got the World Cup coming as well. And I do think subconsciously, some players in those final weeks or so, you know, let's be honest, we're, we're human beings. If you or I were going in for a challenge, and in the back of our mind is all oh, the World Cup starts in two weeks' time. I just think subconsciously you're not going to go in as strongly as you would normally. Um, and that's my little worry with those two as we get closer and closer to the World Cup, uh, that that maybe plays on the back of their mind. I don't know. But that's when you get injured if you're not exactly. going into a challenge. Yeah, that's what Kane said pretty much. The moment you start thinking about injuries, uh, you actually do end up getting yourself injured because you're more focused on it. As we've touched on rotation then, I think last night probably for one of the first times this season, Conte's actually had the luxury of, you know, rotating his team pretty early in the game with like 20, 25 minutes to go. Yeah. Uh, Rodrigo Bentonker was one of the first to come off, same with Richarlison Bentonker. I know we missed out at uh, West Ham following the uh, head injury he got at Notts Forest in August, but pretty much since then, ever present in the team. Uh, who else did we see? come off. Eric Dyer came off with about yes, very 15, 15 minutes or so to go, was it? Uh, or was it five minutes? I can't remember. Uh, I think it was, was 78th minute, something like that, yeah. Yeah, then there was two late on. Son came off and I can't remember who the other one was. So I think we're all thinking it was maybe going to be Harry Kane, given the scoreline. Yeah. He opted against... Hoybier and Dyer, wasn't it? Hoybier, yes. That yeah. was the one who came off. So he was taking a number of his pretty much ever presence in Dyer, really, yeah. Son, Benton, Kerr, Hoybier, Goff. I was surprised Kane didn't come off. Do you think that's an opportunity missed, not taking him off then? Um, I think, judging by what he was saying about Kane afterwards, he was asking him to kind of stay in a set position rather than running around like a madman. So maybe he thought, let's give a rest to the two guys that, kind of were doing a lot of running up and down the sidelines but whereas with Kane you know he, he kind of said it afterwards it was quite interesting he said after watching the Frankfurt game in Germany he felt that the way to really harm them was to have Kane playing this very much a focal point position staying where he was presumably keeping Frankfurt occupied there to create space for Sonny and Richarlison down the sides um, and I thought this is why it was quite annoying that he blazed that penalty into you know almost went to the moon, quite frankly, that because the rest of his game, I felt, was really, really good. Uh, and he did deliver what Conte wanted to the letter. Um, so, yeah, I kind of understand it. And he also said Conte afterwards that Richardson had a little bit of a knee problem as well, which he hopes doesn't keep him out against Everton. But perhaps that probably played a part as well. Maybe, just maybe, he would have put Richardson up there uh, and taken Kane off. So that's a potential reason for it as well. Um but yeah, yeah, there was some rotation going on late on, but it did also lead to that crazy period towards the end. Yeah, I mean, speaking of that final 10 minutes or so, I think everyone in the ground were probably thinking, here we go, especially when Frankfurt got the second ones. I mean, there was a couple of instances during the game where Larice was brought into action. I think it was from Lindstrom. One yeah. in the first half saved really well down low. And then in the second half, when Lindstrom cut into the area, looked like it. Curling shot, finding the top corner. Top draw save from Larice to tip it over. Yeah. 
But I think he, he made, I think he was one in stoppage time as well. Lowered down Frankfurt were really yeah. pushing on. And it was a match Tottenham should have sewn up, you know, way before then, given the amount of chances and the two goal cushion and having that extra 30 minutes, having that extra player. And they just couldn't find it. And, you know, we've seen it previously. I can remember West Ham, what would have been two years ago? The free free when Lanzini oh, scored yeah. it in Thanks the last for bringing minute. that back into everyone's mind, yeah. Yeah, you're just thinking the game's done, done and dusted. They get one, they can, uh, they could get another one here, but thankfully, you know, they managed to uh hold on. Could have been a different story, though. And I think Conte wasn't happy, was he, in his press conference after? No, 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 very unhappy. Like I say, his voice was kind of gone pretty much, or it wasn't quite gone, but it was getting there. Um, yeah, he just he kind of said everyone was at fault. He said it's players' fault. Um, I say fault. What he's saying is that everyone made a mistake in thinking the game was done. And he said the players, myself as in him, um, and also the fans. He said he kind of felt the atmosphere in the stadium was almost like the fans had decided, yep, it's all over, party time kind of thing. Whereas, uh, although there was one minute, uh, one moment, I remember the fans really um, kind of tried to G them up. I remember you suddenly got a bit of a roar around the stadium to try and wake Spurs up, and that, perhaps that did actually lead to you know Brian Hill taking things on his in his own hands as well. Um, but yeah, it, it was just it was one of those things. That it, it shouldn't define it because in the end they got the result. But as Conte said, if they hadn't, it would have been a disaster against ten men. Uh, against a team that, like I say, hadn't really created much in Germany at all, but Spurs were giving them options. But what really should have been the way is that the way that they were pushing forward, Frankfurt, with a man less, Spurs should have been ripping them to pieces on the counter in those last few moments. The game was so stretched, but it was only really, I'd say, Brian Hill and Kane's um, burst down the left later on, which we'll talk about, the most unfortunate cross I've probably ever seen. Um, Yeah, that... You know, that's the only two that really stand out for me late on in terms of chances when they really should have been, you know, they had plenty of chances earlier on. Cessignon had a chance, Romero had a chance, um, Sonny obviously had a chance for his third as well. Um, I feel like Kane maybe had another chance as well. But um, yeah, they should have had it wrapped up long, long, long before. And I guess if you're going to have to learn a lesson, learn a lesson in a game you've won rather than one you've uh, lost. So yeah. They can move on from that at least. Yeah. On the subject of Brian Hill, then, since you brought him up, <laughs> yeah. a, a week ago, he came on against Frankfurt for the final 12 minutes. Uh, didn't have the best of times, knocked off the ball a couple of times. Did impress with a bit of skill in his own corner to get away from his marker. And we were thinking, yeah, he needs to offer a lot, lot more uh, to show Conte that he can be part of his team. I think he did that last night in, in five minutes as well. Well, it's quite impressive because, as I said last time, you usually do need a good 10 minutes or so just to get into the game, catch up with the speed of it. And literally, from the off, as soon as he came on, he was on it. And there, were, there was a really unfortunate bit where Kane played him in and you're thinking, he's running through here, he's going to go clean through. And then he just stumbled on the ball. Yeah. Somehow ended up with it coming back to him a couple of yeah, seconds back, later. Yeah, straight back to him for some reason. Yeah. Uh, really, really good Maisy run. Uh, like Keynes was in the first half to win the penalty. Yes. How, very similar, yeah. How that wasn't given as a penalty, I've, I don't know, uh, first of all, until it went to VAR. But just going back to Gil, yeah, really impressive run. And then so unfortunate not to get his uh, first Tottenham goal. Uh, not long after Kane's uh, penalty miss. Acres of space in the area. Kane on the left, you're thinking, with Kane's quality passing, he'll pick him out, no problem. But from where we were sat, I couldn't tell if the ball was behind him or was it just in front of him. It was just at such an awkward height. It was just too high for him. <laughs> I think we have to be brutally honest. It was so unfair. He's like the smallest guy on the pitch, and Kane plays a cross that is just above his like that that incredible hair that Brian Hill has. It's like the ball kind of whistled through his locks, and it's a bit like 
one of those where he's crossing as if Son or Richarlison is there. He's not taking into account there's probably a little, like, what, a foot less or so. <laughs> it just needed to put it there. If he'd played it along the floor, Ryan Hill puts that in the net. You know, if he'd played it, yeah, a foot down, Brian Hill puts that in the net. I felt so sorry for him because he'd done so well to win that penalty as well. But it was, it was, it was, it was just too high for his his head. Yeah. Has he given Conte something to think about then, or is it perhaps one of these where well, Dane Kulisevsky's back now, Lucas Mara's back? Where's he going to get his minutes from? Yeah, I wrote that in my talking points earlier. It's like he's he's put in a performance that really I think. Conte would have been very happy with it. Probably gave him a lot of praise afterwards. You know, we've got another press conference tomorrow, so probably it might be one of my questions tomorrow. I was asking about Brian Hill. Um, just the timing of it is so bad because you've got Kulisevsky and Lucas coming back. And unfortunately for Brian Hill, you know, Conte looks at that bench. The likes of Richarlison, Kulisevsky and Lucas are always going to come off ahead of him, off the bench. Uh, it's just unfortunately the pecking order that he's in but I did think he he showed a little something, you know. It started off, like you say, that bit where he kind of stumbled and it was a bit like, oh, no, that was your big chance. But then he did so well to react quickly when the ball came back to him, won the penalty. Um, I'll tell you what, and that guy, because it was quite cynical, um, he just, I don't remember his name, but Slovovich or something. Uh, sorry, it's Smolich, Smolchich, I think, put his leg out behind him, tripped him over. It's a bit like, if he hadn't done that, that would have been an incredible goal. It would have been such a nice goal. And it would have said everything about him and his talent. Um, and then, like I say, the unfortunate cross from Kane, who I think was just knackered by the end of it. Um, yeah, I think he did everything he could within his power to kind of impress Conte. I just think circumstances are going to conspire against him a bit. Um Look, you never know. Conte may be feeling like a fair man. He might, you know, in the Everton game, he might look at his bench and think, well, you know, Brian Hills deserved the opportunity to come off. I just think that he's a man who has his trusted few, his circle of trust. Uh, I think Brian Hill is kind of hanging onto that circle of trust by his fingertips right now, whereas there's a few people that are sitting very uh, comfortably within it. Um, but you never know. You know, Lucas, maybe. Lucas... Has it's been a little while since Lucas is impressed? Obviously, he's been out injured since August, but I wouldn't say he was flying before that under Conte. Maybe Brian Hill will, will, will have done a little something to give himself a slight couple of minutes before Lucas. I don't know, but uh, either way, I think he'll be playing more football in the second half of the season because I'm pretty sure that if the situation doesn't change, he'll head off in January on loan. Um, he doesn't want to watch that World Cup, see all the Spanish players and think, oh, if I'd played regular football, I might have actually squeezed into that squad for the World Cup, you know. He, he got in, what is it, one or two times before um, last season he was in the Spain squad? I think he was in when they were playing in the Nations League final, yeah. uh, probably a year ago uh, in Italy. I think he was in, in the squad back then and actually got minutes as well on the pitch. Yeah. And Lucas Enrique was raving about him at the time, wasn't he? Saying how like much of a talent he was, he was, and all of this. So he's in his mind, but unfortunately, he's just not on the pitch. Um, but this was good. This is all you can ask when we're talking about these players coming into games when they've got no rhythm, they've got no sharpness. They have to unfortunately somehow find a way to hit the ground running, and I think he did. And and fair play to him. Yeah, I think he's done what was asked of him. Uh, certainly caught Conte's eye in the process. I think the possibly will be some opportunities for him over the next month. I think you're looking at, hopefully, if Tottenham can get the job done against Sporting two weeks' time and seal the qualification with one game to go, then possibly there'll be minutes for Brian in Marseille. And then with the Carabao Cup game against Nottingham Forest, like a few days before domestic football pauses for the World Cup, there could be, you know, minutes for him uh, in that game as well at the City ground also. I think what Brian Hill needs really is Tottenham to be running right in games and Conte being able to take his big plays off because that's when yeah. the opportunity might come his way. And I think having the five substitutes this season is going to help him. But what we've seen from Tottenham so far this season is that's not going to be the case unless they can get back to the form they showed in the final few months of last season. 
which in itself is quite an interesting thing because those trusted starters are not pulling away in matches either. So he's counting on them for their mentality to see it through, but actually maybe some of these other players would potentially provide a little something different to actually help them pull away in games. Yeah, it's a it's a funny old game, as as uh, Jimmy Greaves once said. Right. Just on last night's yeah. game then, and a really important win in the group. I mean, when you're looking at the group now, you're so, so tight, but Tottenham are in the driving seat, a win. And then the fruit of the round of 16, not a bad position to be in with two games to go. Yeah, it was. it's a weird group. It's a very open group. Um, but Spurs having these back-to-back home games coming at this point has been perfect for them. Um, like you say, win, win against Sporting, and that's pretty much that's what it is. Qualification wrapped up to the knockout stages. Um, obviously, who finishes top will probably go down to Marseille, but it's one of those funny ones in Champions League, isn't it? Finishing top isn't always the best thing. You kind of have to see what, and the other groups. I think there's some strange things going on as well. So that might not always be the best scenario in itself. Um, and imagine he'll rotate in Marseille if they can beat um, Sporting, you'd think. Uh, yeah, it was. It, it, it was a case of getting the job done. We can analyse the performance. We can look at people like, let's say, Eric Dyer, you know, who had a good performance but made a, a silly mistake early on, which was quite, I'd say, unlike him in that kind of position. But then you could uh, just look at the end scoreline and you can see that Eric Dyer also, I think, improved as the game went in, played some great passes. And then it is. It's a case of getting the job done, and they did. Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's a funny one it's, with Spurs. You, um, that is, I guess, the legacy. If there will be one of Conte, hopefully there will be one. It's of seeing games out, isn't it? Is that I guess the old cliche, the winning mentality of even if you're not playing well or things aren't going your way, still getting over the line and and getting the three points and. Uh, yeah, that was a big one last night. It was. It's probably bigger than we we uh, kind of felt at the time. Yeah, we are going to discuss another three points in a few minutes as we f- reflect on last Saturday's win at Brighton. But before that, as we are sponsored by NordVPN, Ali, as ever, do you want to tell us the benefits of using them? Yes, NordVPN, uh, our sponsors who, as I always say to people, I was using them before they came on board. So I feel like I'm in a decent position to uh, extol the virtues of NordVPN because I have used it when I've been out and about covering Tottenham Hotspur in various countries uh, because the beauty of NordVPN is it's kind of a few different aspects for me. One, security. So if you're connecting any of your devices to foreign Wi-Fi, things like that. Uh, it acts as a bit of a padlock, really, and stops people coming into your devices and taking what they want off of it. But on the flip side, it's got this very nifty feature of being able to uh, position yourself or your device in whatever country you want it to be, which has many, many benefits, uh, as I recently found in... Uh, where was it? Was it? Was I think it was in Sporting, at uh, Lisbon, when I couldn't get... We didn't have any replay screens of the game, but I was able to just hook up to my... Uh, BT Sport back home by making my phone believe that I was in England and uh, and being able to watch kind of the game on there because for some unknown reason, despite the fact that we pay for these things, we can't always watch the, what we've paid for in different parts of the world because of various restrictions that seem to be in place. Um, whereas with NordVPN, that kind of allows you to, I guess, get what you've paid for. Um, and it can mean the other way around. It means that you could maybe let's say, pay to watch some streaming service, but they're equivalent in another country, which might have different things on offer. Uh, same with sport, watching different football from different broadcasters. It does, quite frankly, open up the world to you um, in that regard. So, yeah, it's it's very clever piece of uh, software, NordVPN, and you can use it on your laptops, phones, tablets, whatever you see fit to do so. Um, and I believe, Guessy, you've got a bit of an offer for people. I do, yeah. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Right, as we 
didn't do a podcast after the Brighton game uh, due to time constraints and having the presser uh, ahead of the Spartan game, uh, ahead of the Frankfurt game, sorry, on Wednesday. Uh, we will have a bit of a, a reflection on the 1-0 win at the Amex. It was a, a really, really emotional day on the South Coast for all connected with Tottenham, obviously following the passing of Giampiero Ventrone uh, a couple of days beforehand. Antonio Conte's press conference was cancelled uh, ahead of the game and it was, you know, a few, about an hour before the game where he spoke for the first time on Ventrone and paid tribute to him and then paid a, a really, really an emotional tribute to him after the game. I mean, such a, a tough afternoon for everyone at the club, but full credit to the players and the staff for coming away at such a tough ground with a, a 1-0 win. Yeah, it was... I think that was the way I phrased my question to him in the press conference afterwards because I wanted to give him the choice of whether he wanted to deliver a tribute to Giampiero or whether he just wanted to focus on the game and the players because obviously emotionally, you know, it, it's such a difficult thing to do. So, yeah, I, I asked him afterwards about, you know, being such a difficult week, did that only make him prouder of the way the players played and focused on, on the game and then came away from, look, in the, even in the best uh, circumstances in a normal week, going to Brighton and winning the Amex would have been difficult for Spurs in previous seasons. They've always, pretty much barring last season, had struggles uh, at the Amex. Um, then, on top of that, this season, Brighton been very, very good. They've probably been better than any season before that. And, and obviously, even with uh, Potter going to Chelsea, I think they've really continued to be excellent. So all of that. But then you chuck in just a sudden and such a tragic um, passing of Giampiero it's just, I, I don't, I honestly, I don't know how they did it. Otherwise, I was so impressed with, you know, we talk about mentality in, in different circumstances, but mentality in those circumstances for me was even more impressive. It's about, what, 48 hours just over after they found out the news that he'd suddenly died. Um, yeah, in, incredible for them. Um, and, you know, the tributes have been fantastic as well. You know, obviously, we, we spoke about it on the podcast last week. I think we did the podcast, didn't we, after he died. Um, but to see what Spurs did, you know, at Brighton as well, I thought the Brighton fans and the Spurs fans were magnificent. Um, there was a real tribute to him. Uh, there, was a, there was a minute's applause before the game, and you could see Conte getting very emotional on the sidelines as well. And when the Spurs fans noticed that, as, by the way, the Spurs fans were holding lots of Italian flags, which was very cool as well. And when they noticed Antonio was getting quite emotional, they started chanting his name, to which he held his hand up in like a, like, thanks, you've got my back. I appreciate that kind of way. And even, uh, I thought the Brighton fans were superb as well. I think the Brighton manager, there's a connection there. Some of his coaching staff, I think, had worked with Jean-Pierre in the past. And then even just very quickly going back to last night in Frankfurt, um, Spurs, obviously, Jean-Pierre's seat in the dugout, if people didn't see, they put like flowers on it and also his jacket, uh, I think his whistle as well. There are a few of his little things that he normally would use were on there. And Frankfurt, uh, the captain, uh, went over and put a wreath there as well. I thought that was very, very respectful as well. Um, and yeah, it's it's all been dealt with in, with the absolute utmost respect for someone that so, so many people had so much respect for. And obviously... Um, Conte, Paratici, Daniel Levy, um, and, and the coaching staff went out to the funeral in um, Naples on Sunday, uh, literally the day after the game. It's just, yeah, all of that, I feel, contributed to what an impressive performance that was at the Amex Stadium. It really was. Everything, everything really worked well for them. Um, and, yeah, we talk about rotation. There were a few players that came into the team who I felt did really well on that day as well. Yeah, there was. I think, obviously, considering the circumstances and everything, what had happened 48 hours beforehand, I think probably the performance of the season from them. You're just thinking, yeah, how on earth be. can how on earth can they even function like following that news and to come away with a one 0 win? I don't think it's a game where you just can't, you know, uh, have a go at them for anything. You've just got to give them yeah. credit for everything what they did it was brilliant and even like you're saying the players who came into the team because there was rotation Matt Doherty was someone who 
not seen start a game since uh, Aston Villa uh, back in April yeah, when he picked April up that afternoon for his knee, yeah, that knee injury, and he, I thought he performed really well. You could tell he was rusty for, from not playing. Yeah, something uh, passing was a bit astray, but but just his general playing the final third was brilliant, and something what Tottenham haven't always had this season at right back. Uh, right wing back with Emerson there because he's not as attack minded as uh, Matt Doherty. But there's a couple of instances from Doherty where he probably wasn't up to speed. Uh, there was the one where Sessignon made the really good run to the back post, they didn't pick him out. But I mean, give him credit at the end for that fantastic block when Trossard looked like he was going to get his shot oh, away. Oh, so good. I forgot have, about that. You've reminded me about that. What yeah. could have potentially been an equaliser? So you've got to give him so much credit. And I think just having some more minutes in the tank is only gone to bode well for him going forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, he, he did well. I thought he and Cessnion both had good games. I thought Cessnion was really impressive, I thought, against Brighton, which is why he earned another start um, against Frankfurt. But yeah, for me, Doherty, uh, and I think the fact that he didn't get any minutes last night, it kind of almost suggests that Conte's told him, yeah, don't worry, you're starting again. I could be completely wrong, and Perisic could start um, with Sergio on the left, but I just kind of felt the fact that he didn't get any minutes almost suggested, yeah, yeah, you you did enough, don't worry, you, you're, you're going to start the next one, I'm going to bring Emerson in and... You know, you said it there yourself. Um, he does deliver. It does bring something different in that right wing uh, back spot. And look, you and I are the first ones to always say we would, we don't want to um, kind of cause a pile on because I think there already is too much on Emerson. I think it's 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 unpleasant some of the things that are being said about him. I will only say the the thing that I will always say is that the system. And it's not his fault. It's not Emerson's fault. He is a fullback playing as a wingback. Um, and you need a natural wingback for Conte's system. Um, and, you know, yes, it's down to Conte, of course, selecting him. And he'll always have his back, as he does with his players, especially those starting for him. Um, but I just think Matt Doherty's performance, even a rusty Matt Doherty, showed kind of how you can open up that system properly. Uh, when you've got the a more natural fit in that role. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it works against Everton because he had a very good game against Everton last season. Um, just after those fateful words as we stepped out of the uh, press suite when I guess he said he felt it was going to be a good night for Everton that <laughs> night, uh, obviously proceeded to be 5-0 to Tottenham. But we won't talk about that side of it too much. Um, but, yeah, Matt Doherty, I think he got two assists that night, didn't he? Um, I feel like there's a really good pass for Harry Kane in the back of my mind somewhere. Um, but yeah, so, and I thought he was Basuma as well. I thought he came in and did a, a good job as well. And we got to see the 3 5 2 against Brighton. Um, I wonder, it's an interesting one because I wonder whether it comes back against Everton, the 3 5 2, um, because much will depend on how fit Kulisevsky is and whether he's ready to start a game or not. If he is, then maybe Conte looks at that and thinks, you know, maybe we stick with a 3-4-3. Three, three. Uh, because if I remember correctly, towards the end of last season, Matt Doherty and Kulusevsky were forming a really nice partnership down that right-hand side as well. So, you know, that that could be another option for him to rekindle that uh, bromance, I guess, whatever you want to call it, uh, down that right-hand side. Uh, but yeah, Brighton the most professional of jobs probably done on a football pitch for me. Um, trying to put, I wouldn't say to put the emotions aside entirely. I think they did harness a lot of it as well, um, which, you know, was important for them. And they did, they, they on the whole nullified um, a team that have given people a lot of problems. I, I think they haven't lost, Brighton hadn't lost at home this season, had they? I feel no, like there's even isn't there a longer run as well? Doesn't it go into next last season? Quite possibly. The yeah. always been really good at the Amex under Graham Potter, and I think Brighton's problem in recent years is they just haven't had a goal scorer up front yeah. because there would have been yeah. so much higher in the table. Always such a tough place to go, the Amex. So yeah, yeah credit to Spurs. Yeah, and I think as the season goes on, you will look at that result even regardless of the incredible circumstances I feel they did it in. And you'll look at that result and then you'll look at other teams that I think will go to the Amex and lose. 
And that could be the difference, nights like that, when Spurs just kind of pushed for that victory. Um, yeah, so it's isn't it weird? that it, it feels like ages ago now. That's how quick these games are coming. Um, you know, like I said, I watched two matches yesterday. So that was like, for me, it was like three matches ago. Um, but yeah, it's left its impact. And we've got back-to-back wins. And now, yeah, going into uh, the, the Rob Guest derby at the weekend. Yeah, just to touch on the three-five-two, as you yeah. mentioned, that I thought Spurs looked better for having the extra man in midfield to start with, but they soon fell into a bit of a, a familiar pattern in the game where they started strongly and then the other team came into it and then they found themselves practically having to, you know, defend for large periods and then try to hit the team on the counter. In terms of Basuma, obviously it's always going to be hard for a player coming into a team with a lack of minutes what's not helped him when he started games it's just needless yellow card oh yeah it, it was the same at west did, didn't he? again yeah same at west ham i think that was for punching the ball away brighton it was a tackle on alexis mcallister who was in a position where it wasn't really going anywhere he certainly wasn't going forward and basuma just you know jumped in bit of a, a late tackle didn't really need to do that and then that just leaves you walking a bit of a tightrope for the uh, remaining time I think it was probably for an hour this time whereas at West Ham it was 70 minutes uh, but no some more minutes in the tank for Basuma more minutes last night I think all Tottenham fans just want to see a bit more of him and if it is to be a 3-5-2 against Everton then he may be handed a second Premier League start in a row yeah, I mean, we mustn't forget, Basuma has been one of the best Premier League midfielders yeah. in recent years. It's kind yeah. of sometimes we're kind of acting like he's, I don't know, just some kind of newcomer to the Premier League that needs time. It's like he's been superb for Brighton in recent seasons. Um, yes, the Conte system's a bit different, but ultimately, if you know the Premier League, you know how to play against a lot of these teams. So, yeah, the more he gets his confidence underneath him, the better he'll be. Yeah, and key to that is just giving him the minutes. And yeah, I think that's all we're hoping what he gets over the coming weeks. I think there's nine nine games left until football uh, stops for the World Cup. So there's plenty of opportunities oh, there for Hurl the squad. Stupid Winter World Cup. <laughs> right. <laughs> Shall we move on to uh, the big game at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium? Uh, Saturday evening, Everton making the trip. To North London. Tell us about Everton. Tell us about Everton, because you, better than anyone, probably know exactly where Everton are at right now. What can Spurs fans and Antonio Conte's team expect from Everton when they turn up? Uh, A tough game. Well, I I thought that was going to be the case last season. (laughs) Can you say exactly the same words you said last time, so it could happen again? No, I'm I'm not going to say it this time. (laughs) I'll uh, I won't say anything before the game Saturday but no uh, I think about 12th in the table at the moment 6 points off 4th uh, How many points ever- off the relegation zone? We discussed that yesterday but <laughs> like I said we always look up we don't look down <laughs> So 6 points to the top 4 but 4 Was it points four? to the relegation zone Yeah you, you look up you look up I love the way you massage those stats <laughs> <laughs> But no uh, the Everton's problem in the first few games of the season was they didn't really have uh, a striker because Dominic Calvert-Lewin was injured. So there's probably games where if they did have a striker, they might have picked up the points and been a lot higher. But since... That Richardson Conor... chap's pretty decent, apparently. Who? Richardson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think since Conor Cody and James Tarkowski have come in in the summer, defensively at Everton are really, really good uh, prior to... The Manchester United game last Sunday, Premier League's best defensive record. I don't know if that still stands. Uh, but no, Everton is strong at the back against Manchester United last week. It was just self-inflicted, really. Just stupid mistakes on the ball, just sloppy play. And United uh, won the game in the end. But no, I think it's going to be a tough game. They usually are between Tottenham and Everton. I can't really remember... Too many Tottenham wins in recent, probably apart in the last the five two. mil. Yeah, apart from that one and the one in uh, during lockdown uh, when Project Restart, when Son and Larice had that moment at halftime, oh, Spurs yeah, won that yeah. one. But other than that, the games that Goodison usually drawn, there was the five four to Everton in the cup. Everton won 
first game of the season, 21-22, I think it was, Calvert-Lewin's header. No, that was, the, sorry, 20-20-21 season. That was the Deli Alley halftime moment that, that was the beginning of his end, wasn't it, really, at Spurs? Yeah, so I imagine... Well, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> say it, say it. It should it should be a close game, given Everton's form, uh, how they picked up on the Lampard of the past month or so. Uh, I'm going I'm to get them to cut this little bit yeah. out of the podcast, <laughs> clip it up and put it at the start of the next one yeah. if it goes the same way. Yeah. Just hopefully it's a good game of football. Uh, that's what I'll say. Uh, Anthony Gordon suspended the game he picks up his fifth yellow card of the season but how's it going been doing on, this season since going, the kind of Chelsea and Spurs interest going on his performance against Manchester United last week you know he, he won't be a miss he, he was uh he and was that really, aside how's he been for the rest uh he's done okay contributed with a couple of goals uh so far I don't think he's found the form uh what he did last season yeah his head but, turned at all do you think uh, maybe, maybe a little, uh, quite possibly, but you know, he's an Everton player until January, uh, now until the January. earliest, yeah, the earliest that obviously could potentially go if another club wants to come in for him. But I think, yeah, I think everyone's just hoping he can get back to his form because he's, he's such a good player. Uh, yeah, I but, like him. Yeah, Everton, I think they're certainly heading in the right direction on the Lampard, especially when you go back 10 months or so ago when obviously looking behind the shoulders. So, yeah, it's uh, hopefully it will be a good game. I think it'll certainly be a test for Tottenham. They'll have to be at the best to win. Is Calvert-Lewin back and fit? Calvert-Lewin came on for the last 10 minutes or so against Manchester United. Whether he's in a position to start yet, I don't know, but I think it's certainly uh, I think everyone, Lampard, everyone in the club's just pleased to have him back. So it's just been such a stop-start period for him probably over the past 12 months or so. So if he doesn't start, it'll be Neil Morpé uh, from the off. If not, then Calvert-Lewin could start. Morpé's given Spurs problems in the past. You know, he's, that's, uh, it's not a bad alternative to have. Um, yeah, I think this one's going to be decided on... Fresh legs, I think, really, because obviously no midweek game for Everton um, until you guys eventually get back into European competition in a few years' time. Um, well, it's not looking likely probably at this season, is it? It's maybe, maybe the next season is a target. Well, Rebuild, I think. Like I said, six points off off. Yeah, four points off the relegation zone. You never know. <laughs> you never know what 20, could happen. 29 games still to go in the league. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure Everton will be <laughs> fine. Um but yeah, them not having a match in midweek does mean that uh, they've just they're going to have ultra fresh legs uh, um, coming into the game. Whereas Spurs, it does. It depends how many changes he makes. Um, this is the problem, I guess. With there's uh, a part of me that kind of feels that for a lot of that time playing against ten men in the second half, surely they would have used less energy. Maybe that was to their detriment, as we saw at the end, because they started to kind of get stuck in that way of maybe not. I think uh, Hugo Lloris said it as well, didn't he, that they didn't put enough effort into the second half. So perhaps they managed to win the game, so that could come back to be their benefit in the next game if they didn't really exert themselves in the second half against um, a lesser number, uh, a team with fewer numbers out there. Um yeah, I'd agree with you in that that game, that kind of thrashing aside last season, Everton normally are a very tough opponent for Spurs. I think my first game covering Tottenham was 1-1 at Goodison. Um, Barkley and Lamella both scoring. Way back in 2016. A little, little trip down memory road for me there. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's one of those where if Spurs kind of can just harness what they've done in the last few games, I think they probably come away with the win. Um, but if there's any of the silly mistakes, you know, I do think, like I said earlier, there's a good time to make mistakes and learn from them. It's in a victory. And if they can learn from those mistakes and going into this game, because, uh, you know, they're, they're two tough games, Everton and Man U back-to-back. Um, again, 
he's got to balance the squad rotation right um, because some players who play in this game won't be able to then maybe play against United at Old Trafford. Um, I mean, what team would you go with? Well, I've already picked my team, uh, to be honest. So what I'd go with, obviously, Lloris in net as ever. I'd make one change at the back and that would be Christian Romero having a breather uh, to get Davinson Sanchez in. Obviously, no Ben Davies. No, well, the usual change is Davison Longley swap, but I think it's a case of I wouldn't swap after one game. I'd rather give the players two games then swap. So I'd bring Davies back in for the Manchester United game rather than making two changes at back because I think there's got to be a point where Romero has a breather for Sanchez to come in. Yeah. I would make that change this weekend and then bring Davis in against Manchester United. Uh, Doherty, a right wing back. I'd bring Perisic back in for Sessignon because he didn't uh, he didn't come on at all, did he, yesterday? No. Perisic. No, and with Sess, yes, he's fit and he's been working really hard on his fitness, but I just, I don't, I wouldn't want to tempt fate with those hamstrings uh, by playing him three games in a week. So, yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Yeah, I think it's just, like I said, just managing his fitness, really, just not pushing yeah. him too much. So that's the change I'd make. I'd make a change in the middle of midfield. I think yep. it's time for Oliver Skip needs minutes at some point. You're thinking, well, I can't see him coming in for the Manchester United game because it'll be Benson Kerr and Hybeg, the first choice midfield. And then, more than likely, it'll be the same midfield against Newcastle. So if you're going to pick a game coming up, is this the one? where you maybe make that change in midfield and maybe bring Benton Kerr out and start Hoibieg and Skips. Obviously, the, a partnership there, having played in the first few months of uh, Nuno's reign and then Conte's reign, first few months of last season, then I'd stick with 3-4-3 and Kane, Son. I put Richarlison in because I didn't actually realise Conte had mentioned in his interview with BT that he picked up a little... The injury. Although he uh, did say in his presser that everyone was available. Yeah. So whether just in between the two interview, the interview and the press conference, he got some word that, oh no, it's fine, or whether he just forgot, I don't know. Or he magically healed in that <laughs> in that <laughs> minute or whatever. So uh yeah, if Kulosevsky's back, given he's just coming back from injury, I probably wouldn't start him. I'd probably just ease him in and then start him at Wednesday at Old Trafford. Yeah. That's what I'd go with uh, for you. Similar team. I'd go three five two. I would. Yeah. Uh, I would bring Ben Davies in. I think he's got okay. the like the luxury really on the left of that back three that I think he can rotate game to game, keep those two fresh, and not really drop the level of performance. I think they're both. You know, he trusts them both on that left hand side. Yeah, I'm with. It. It's a tough one with the Romero one. Um, he does need a break at some point. A rest, I should say, not a break. <laughs> no, no kind of breaks. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think Romero's quite fit. He's only young, isn't he? I know what you mean. The United one, it's an accumulation thing rather than that. So, yeah, th- that's one maybe he looks at as a potential. Um, and, you know, and Eric Dyer. It's when Eric Dyer gets a rest as well is the ridiculous thing. Um, he he had his 15 minutes. He He's did, yeah. Minutes rest. Totally refreshed now. Um <laughs> Yeah, so I'd probably go with the same back three apart from Davies. I think I'd go for a 3-5-2. So I think I'd bring Basuma in, go with the same midfield at Brighton. Um, but then if things are going Spurs' way, take off one of the um, the original pairing for Skip uh, as the game goes on. Perisic and Doherty. Um, and then I think you've got to go Kane and Son, really, haven't you? But then you've got a very strong bench with Richarlison, Kuzevsky, and um, the renewed and recharged Brian Hill on there, uh, able to uh, to bring those mazy dribbles and almost headed goals to the pitch. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'd probably go for. Um, what, how many fresh legs would that be? One, two, three. That'd probably be enough, I think. Yeah, I think it's four changes in my 11. I think it's a case of Conte needs to make the changes, but you don't want to be doing wholesale changes. It's just getting the balance just right, really. And 
I think the past few games, it has tended to be about three changes. Uh, so, yeah, I imagine there will be a bit of tinkering in terms of the 11 and plenty of good options to bring off off the bench as uh, as well. So I think we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Top Tottenham. Uh, we'll be back next week to discuss Tottenham versus Everton and then also the Manchester United game on Wednesday at Old Trafford as well. So as always, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus free threat protection plus one additional month for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.